today on Divine Truth Podcast. Because listen, church, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised. If they thought Jesus Christ to be a fool, then why do we think that we're better that they should not think of us that way? This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. First Corinthians chapter number 4, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's Word. If you would please stand, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and we're going to read our text once again, beginning in verse number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 6. Well, the apostle says, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? Or what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that ye also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scourging of all things unto this day. This is the Word of God. Father, we pray that you would teach us your truth now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. One of the, as we've seen in this passage together, one of the ugliest sins that you could probably ever habitually practice in your life would be the sin of conceit, arrogance, or pride. Because pride not only says that I'm better than you, but pride says I don't need God. That whatever's going on in my life, I can handle it, and I don't need any intervention and any help by the Lord. And that is the struggle, and that is the battle, really, that 
the Apostle Paul is fighting with the church at Corinth. As we've said to you before, the believers in the Corinthian church were raised in a society where humanism and human wisdom flourished, where prestige and affluence reigned supreme, and simple simplicity was not looked upon with much praise. In fact, they said of Paul, he's too much of a simple man. He can't preach and he's ugly, and he has nothing going for him. And unfortunately for the Christians there in Corinth, the attitude that they had been permeated in their minds and hearts all their life found its way with them into the church. And it caused all type of, of battles and divisions and factions in the church. And one of the first divisions and factions that we've learned about these people was found in chapter 1 when they were dividing and, and pairing off with each other over certain teachers. Some were going to Apollos and some were going to the more spiritual ones were going to Christ. At least they thought they were more spiritual. Some were going to Peter and some were going, you know, other to Apollos. And, and Paul says, listen, I'm glad what? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you jokers. I'm glad that I don't have responsibility for any of you guys. And the issue of pride was such a hard issue and such a, a, a permeated issue in this church that Paul addressed this at least once in every chapter we've looked at in Corinthians so far. In one shit's form or another, Paul has addressed pride and conceit. Folks, the fact of the matter is, we've looked at this in some detail, the fact of the matter is, folks, we need Christ. Every moment of every hour of our life, we need the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of Christ residing on us. We dare not... Uh, live one moment of our life in our own the power of our own flesh we need to ask as solomon said in the proverbs we need to ask god to direct our paths in every every way we go there in proverbs chapter 3 he said trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and we should live in absolute fear of progressing at any point of our christian life Without the acknowledgement of God and without the acknowledgement that we need God in our life. And that's basic for you all. You know that is true. But as we looked at, as we've been looking at pride and conceit, or humility and conceit, we've looked at th two things so far that humility understands and conceit doesn't understand. First of all, we saw that humility understands its place, right? And we saw where Paul was talking about in verse 6 that he said, listen, Apollos and I and Cephas, we're just what? We're farmers. We're builders. We're servants. We're stewards. We're nothing. And listen, church, humility understands the place it has before the Lord and conceit does not understand its place. Conceit always thinks of itself better than it should. Conceit always thinks of itself better than other people. But humility understands where they are before the Lord that there's only one word in our life that has any place. There's only one thing in our life that separates us from Christian, as Christians from the worst sinners. And church, what is that word? Grace. 
That is the only thing, folks, that separates you and me from the worst sinner imaginable is the grace. And it's not our grace. It is God's grace freely and sovereignly given to his people. And that's it. And we need to keep that in mind. And we need to understand our place. That you and I are no better than anyone else. And so we need to, humility understands its place. But number two, we looked at last week, humility understands its possessions. You and I have absolutely nothing. And Paul asked a rhetorical question in verse 7. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is what? Nothing. Everything that you and I have, we have because of someone else. Even if you go all the way back, you, we need to understand and humility understands that everything that we have is because of the grace of God. That every blessing that we have, every victory that we have, we have because Jesus Christ gave it to us. You know, our problem is we get a little spiritual we get a little high-minded, we get a little heady, we get a little arrogant, and we begin to think, yeah, I've got, I've, uh, you know, I've got this Christian life, I've got this deal down pretty good. Now, we're far too pious to say that. But that's the way we think sometimes, and that's the way we live. Folks, we need to remember, you and I have absolutely nothing but what God has given to us whether it be our physical possessions, whether it be certainly our salvation. You and I would never be saved apart from the sovereignty of God, would we? You and I would never be saved apart from that. So everything we have has been given to us. And Paul asks this church a rhetorical question, what did you have that you didn't receive? And the answer is nothing. Now, if you received it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? I mean, if he asked the question and they answered it honestly, well, we don't have anything, Paul, that wasn't given to us. Then Paul says, then why do you glory as if you didn't receive it, but as if it was accomplished based by your hand? And so Paul says, humility understands its possessions, but conceit doesn't understand its possessions. But let's look at number three. Humility understands its procedure. Its place, its possessions, its procedure. Now, in order for Paul to really unmask their conceit, Paul heaps on them feigned praise or fake praise. Notice what he says in verse 8. Now, you're full. A little apostolic sarcasm in verse 8. You're full. You're rich. You have reigned as kings without us. Boy, you think so highly of yourself. It must be that you're full. It must be that you're rich. It must be, look what he's talking about here. It must be that you're actually reigning in the millennial kingdom already. At least you're living like it. But I would to God that you did reign so that we also might reign with you. And Paul, with his, again, his apostolic sarcasm, tell the, tells these Corinthian believers how great and wonderful they are. You've done that, haven't you? You've gone up to somebody that's a real smart aleck. You get in a debate, a, a, a theological debate with somebody. You say, well, I don't debate, Pastor. Well, if you do, you get into a theological debate with somebody and, and, and you tell them your position and, and you give them Bible verses. And here, here's one thing they taught me in seminary when I took debate. 
And here's what you need to remember. When the debate is lost, name-calling starts. Right? Because that's all they've got left. They can't argue with the Bible, so they start the insults. And usually the insults start like this. Well, you think you've got it all figured out. That's what Paul's doing to these guys. Kind of some sarcasm going on. He says, you guys are so great, you're so wonderful, you must be filled with everything good. Boy, you're wealthy, you're royal, you had it all, man, you've arrived. And the sad reality is, except for the context of Paul's sarcasm, the Corinthians believers would have taken Paul's words at face value and would have believed that Paul is saying this to them in truth. Because this is really what they thought about themselves. They really did think they were full. They really did think that they had arrived. And they would have spent most of their time agreeing with what Paul had said about them. They're similar to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Because thou sayest, Jesus says, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not, knowest not that you are poor, wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You think you've got it all, but in reality you've got nothing. And you and I both remember Christ's words of, of thought about the Laodicean church in verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus Christ says of the church, Jesus, which is the context of Revelation 3, Revelation 3 is not a salvation call. Okay? Revelation 3, he's not talking to a bunch of lost people. He's talking to the church, trying to get the church to repent of their self-sufficiency. But in verse 20, he's, this is not a salvation call. This is a call of fellowship. That's the context. But Jesus Christ says, because of your attitude, because you're neither hot nor cold, I wish you were one of the others, but because you are lukewarm, what's the the only thing you can do with lukewarm water? Spit it out. And Jesus said, because you're lukewarm and you haven't decided whether you're going to be hot for me or cold with me, you're on one minute and off the other. He said, you make me sick. Because you think that you're self-sufficient, you are self-satisfied, you make me sick. Arrogance and conceit in the life of the believer doesn't have any place in the spiritual life. And anyone who has arrogance and conceit and thinks that there's something apart from the Lord is is in no way, shape, or form spiritually growing in that process of sanctification. Look again what Paul says in verse 8. He says, you have reigned with kings with us. You know, you're living like you've already been crowned as ruling with Christ. That's how you're acting. And he says in verse 8 again, And I would to God, you did reign, that we also might reign with you. He said, listen, if the millennial kingdom had truly began, then they would have true, then they would have true glory shared with them and by, by the Lord. But they were not reigning. Therefore, they had no cause for glory. True humility, folks, understands its procedure or its course. They realize, true humility realizes that we're not filled with anything. True humility realizes that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have absolutely, positively nothing. 
We are not worthy. We are not royal. We are not reigning at this point. We are completely dependent on Christ. Do you realize that tonight? Do you realize that you are completely dependent upon Christ? Or does Jesus Christ look at, look at us and say, man, you're full. Man, you got it all figured out. Humility understands its procedure. Number four, humility understands its position. Humility understands its position. But the opposite of that is conceit doesn't understand its position. As I've read and as I've studied this portion of Scripture, it's absolutely amazing to me that the believers at Corinth thought themselves to be better than others. And I've told you this before, they, the, the people at Corinth, and we're going to see this in chapter 5, and you'll remember this when we get there, that the, that the people at Corinth had gotten so caught up in their own arrogance, caught up in their own self-sufficiency, that they actually believed that they were above God's law. Because what's it say in chapter 5? Paul says, I, Paul says, I can't believe this. He says, I can't believe, as I'm receiving correspondence from Epaphroditus and other Christians, he said, I can't believe that you as a church are allowing a young man in your church that's having a sexual affair with his stepmother. And Paul goes on to say, you're not only allowing it, he says, you're glorying in it. And he says, that type of sin is not even named among people that are unbelievers. Amazing to me. As we read and study this portion, that they really thought themselves to be better than other people. And I ponder that on several points, but the main point that I, which I want us to consider tonight is the fact that they must also have thought themselves not only better than the apostles, but they must have thought themselves better than Christ. Because that's the ultimate where, that's the ultimate place where pride leads. And Paul, in contrast to their arrogant pride, tells the Corinthians they need to understand their position. Look at verse 9. He says, For I think, or I reckon, or I consider, that God hath set forth us, the apostles, what? Last. You know, the word uh, set forth can be translated exhibited, and it's a word that means to show forth in public recognition. In other words, contrary or in contrast to their arrogant pride, God had put them last in the victory parade. Now, what do you mean by that? And what Paul had in mind here when he spoke about this, he had in mind here the picture of the Roman victory parade after a war. When a Roman general and his troops would go off to war and they won the war, they'd come back to town and in the beginning or the front part of the line of this parade was the general, was the king, the emperor, the general, and all the soldiers that were victorious and the last people in the line were the people who had been overtaken. And those people that were conquered, these were people that were marked victims and would soon face death. And that's what Paul means when he says in, first, in chapter 9, as, we, as it were appointed to death. 
Paul says, listen, you think that you are full, you think that you're wealthy, you think that you've got it all figured out, but here's what the reality, God has taken the apostles and he's put us in the last of the line. We're in the same place as the losers. So if somebody ever calls you a loser because you're a Christian, yep, that's right. That's exactly what I am. I'm a loser. Because everything I have is in Christ. In me, I'm a loser. And I'm at the back of the line. I'm where the losers are. And folks, that rubs against the, that rubs against the in, inbred uh, self-sufficiency of our own minds, doesn't it? So that's what humility understands about its life, that I'm in the back of the line. And the contrast to these arrogant believers is that you believe yourself to be distinct and you believe yourself to be better than everyone else, but you don't have anything that you did not receive from somebody else. And since that is the case, you don't have anything to boast about. But while you're boasting about who you are as apostles, we're in the parade where the losers are and we're getting ready to die. Because, folks, listen, if anybody had any reason to boast, it would be the apostles, right? Right? Because according to Ephesians 4, they're the foundation of the church. The apostles are the foundation of the church. So if anybody had any reason to boast, it would have been the apostles. And what did Paul say about the apostles? Where were the losers are? Do you see yourself as a loser? I'm not talking about losers if you're worthless. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're a loser by yourself. Apart from Christ, you and I are losers. We're in the back of the line. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I don't mean that offensively. But listen, that's really where, that's where Paul says he was. He was in the back of the line in this parade. And he was last and the, and the losers were last. Quite the contrary. It, quite the contrast, isn't it? Between godly humility and carnal arrogance. Because the fact of the matter is, church, we all had a sentence of death on us, don't, didn't we? And it was by the sovereign grace of God that we are pulled from that sentence. And if it had not been from the sovereign grace of God, we would have gone to hell with the rest of the losers. And again, I don't mean that disparagingly. In these verses, verses 9 through 13, Paul uses really to, to compare this, he uses four words um, to really talk about this contrast. The first one is found in verse 9 and is the word spectacle. He says, for we are made, verse 9, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. The word spectacle is uh, theratron, is where we get our English word theater. And Paul, using the analogy of the victory parade that was in Rome or whenever, whoever uh, won the victory, he says, listen, we're in the back of the line and we're in the back of the line because we're the ones on display. We're the ones on display. Because when they came back into the city with the, with the vic victims in the back of the line, what did they do? They took them, Rome, for example, took them right to the Colosseum. The whole Colosseum was filled with people 
Thousands of people flooded into the Colosseum there in Rome and they took those losers from the country they conquered and they brought them right into the theater, right into the Colosseum and they put them on display. They made them a spectacle for everybody to see. Look, these are the people we've conquered. And Paul says, listen, God's made us a spectacle to who? The world. You know, what does the world think about us? And not us. What does the world think about Jesus Christ? What does the world think about the message of Jesus Christ? What does Paul say in in the first chapter of Corinthians? God has chosen what kind of preaching? The foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost. And so what is the world? You've got, the con- you've got a comparison and a contrast there in chapter 1 between the foolishness of preaching, the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of the world. And Paul says, I didn't come to you with the wisdom of the world and the, and the way men speak. I came to you in the power of Christ. And therefore, I've, I've, I've determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm not preaching any other message to you but Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that, The world likes to put you on display, don't they? The enemy of your souls likes to use his minions to to drag you, to march you into the Colosseum and put you on display as a spectacle in your schools, in your workplace, and in your families. Look at that fool who follows Jesus. But Paul says what? That's okay. Whose doing is that? Verse 9, we are made a spectacle unto the world by who? By God, right? Because Paul, Paul says in the first part of verse 9 that God has set us at apostles last, making us a spectacle. Quite the contrast between a life of arrogance, a life of self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment, and a life of humility. Shortly after his transfiguration, Christ told his disciples about his soon coming arrest, death, and resurrection. Now, as typical of the disciples, they didn't understand it. They didn't know what he was talking about because instead of him asking them to explain what he was talking about, they began to argue amongst themselves which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom. It was Peter, James, and John, right? Those are the three apostles, uh, disciples at the transfiguration. And just like John 13, they began to talk about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Well, I don't understand what Jesus is talking about, so uh, let's talk about who's going to be the greatest. I think I am. When Christ asked them what they were discussing, and they were understandably ashamed to reply. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and the servant of all. And he took a child. And set him in the middle of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. 
The life of discipleship is a life of servanthood, folks. It's not a life of thinking ourselves to be something when we are nothing. It's a life of servanthood. It's a life of servant-like humility. A life that, that intimidates the world. And the intimidation that our life places on the world is that they are in danger of death. And so Paul says, we are made a spectacle unto the world. The world tries to drag us into full view and ridicule us. Paul says that's okay. Second word is not only spectacle. Now, I tried to find a word to begin with S that meant fool. I asked my wife, I said, honey, I looked across the room and I said, honey, can you give me a word that means fool that begins with the letter S? And she said, Stephen. For those of you who don't know, that's my first name. I said, that won't work. Although that's true. That won't work for this for this purposes. So I came up with the best one I can. Simpleton. How's that? Does that work for everybody? Simpleton. Notice the continued sarcasm of Paul in verse ten. We are fools for Christ's sake. I can't think of a person I'd rather be a fool for. I'd rather be a f- moron for Christ. The word Greek word is moros. Remember, get our English word moron. I'd rather be a moron in the army of the Lord than be a moron in the world. I'd rather be a moron as far as the world is concerned and have Christ as my God and heaven as my home than be, than be considered bright and brilliant for the world and hell be my ultimate destination. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise in Christ. Oh, pardon us. Pardon us. We are weak. Oh, but pardon us. You're strong. You are honorable. We're despised. Are you getting the sarcasm here? Now, Paul can get away with this because this is inspiration. This is, this is theopanoustos. This is God-breathed sarcasm. So Paul can get away with this. But as we saw on Sunday mornings, this is all Paul's heart too. And Paul had already back in Rome and back in chapter 1, again reminded them that the foolishness of preaching God uses to save the lost. And, ju- and, and they just could not let go of the view that they had before Christ of being tempted to look at those preachers that proclaim the truth as just babbling. Because remember, they were raised in a society where oratory was high on the list of importance. If you could not speak eloquently to the people of Corinth, you were not worth listening to. And that's why, again, I told you, that's why they made fun of the way Paul talked. And they just could not let go of that because they still loved human wisdom. Let me tell you something, folks. Human wisdom doesn't have anything to say to us, does it? Human wisdom has nothing to say to us. And far too many Christians spend their life trying to take in human wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Far too many Christians are so willing and ready to listen to the philosophers but are not willing to listen to Christ. We're willing to open up the... the, the, the humanistic psychology book, but we're not, we're not willing to open up the Bible. 
And these guys loved human wisdom. And as long as we are lovers of human wisdom, we will never be lovers of the truth found in Christ. Because we'll always want to argue against it. And they could not bear to think of themselves fools for Christ. Because, listen, folks, let's be real. As I study these things over the last months, and I, and I come up to these, and I, and, I, and I find what God expects of me, sometimes it rubs the wrong way against my human flesh. Nobody in this auditorium wants to be called a fool. Nobody in this auditorium wants to be called a simpleton. Nobody in this auditorium wants to be called a servant, a slave. But what does God call us? God calls us slaves. And God says the world is going to think of you as a fool for my sake. Because listen, church, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised. If they thought Jesus Christ to be a fool, then why do we think that we're better that they should not think of us that way? They saw themselves, these Corinthians saw themselves as prudent, wise. They saw themselves as strong. They saw themselves as distinguished. But here's the difference. The contrast between humility and conceit. Because Paul says true humility acknowledges and understands its place, its positions, its procedure, and its, uh, and its possessions. And the basic idea is this it understands the fact that apart from jesus christ i am absolutely nothing let me tell you something you and i will be much better witnesses for christ if we when we understand that we're nothing without him you and i will live much greater victorious lives for christ we will live more spiritual life lives for christ if we understand we're nothing without him and if we are willing we need to be willing to accept the fact that because of Christ, we're going to be put on display by the world as a spectacle and as a simpleton. And they were in Paul and Paul and the other apostles were considered simpletons because they preached Christ. But that's humility. That's humility. You know, there's there's very there's very many times in my life where, where my mind goes back to uh, Philippians two five through eight. And I'm reminded of the, the sacrifice and the testimony of Jesus Christ in his self-emptying that we looked at on Sunday morning a few weeks ago. But that's humility. But when, you're, but when you have arrogance and pride and conceit, you're depending on your own insights of Christ. You see, true humility, folks, true, uh, under, uh, true dependence understands the reality of who we are. Conceit only looks and understands its own value. It only understands and looks at the thoughts about its own self. That's why Paul says in verse, and notice what Paul says in verse 10, we are weak, but you're strong. You know, the world and its wisdom have a very odd definition of strength versus weakness. The world, to the world, strength is being in charge. It's like the old guy said, I am large and in charge. Some of us can just say, I'm large. But human wisdom says that strength is being in charge. 
being the alpha male in all things. No fears, no submission. Nobody's going to kick me around. But for Paul and for the believers, for us, church, strength, true strength is found in being weak. Because when we have weaknesses, then our dependence is on Christ, which is true strength. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12? Very familiar passage. We understand from that passage that Paul was sent up to the third heaven. And he says, I found, he said, I saw unspeakable things that that no man can utter. And then he says in verse 7, of 2 Corinthians 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Talking about him going to the third heaven. He says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So Paul is very clear that whatever this messenger of Satan is, whoever or whatever it is, whatever the thorn in the flesh is, Paul is very clear that God gave it to him so that he would not be exalted above measure because of what God allowed him to see. And he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for thee. I'm not going to take it away, Paul. I'm going to just give you the grace to live with it. For my strength, notice what he says. This is what the Lord told Paul. For my strength is made perfect or made complete in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, as a response, as a reaction to what Christ told him, most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me because when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, the Corinthians thought they were strong in their own strength. But Paul says, no, no, no. True strength is really being weak. Really understanding that you have needs. That you have dependency on Christ. Because then as you depend upon Christ, you are really strong. The believer's strength and honor and prudence comes from Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Our power and none of our powers in us, all of our powers in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, listen, you think you're weak, you think you're strong, but you're really weak. We're really strong because we recognize our weakness and then our dependence is in Christ. And folks, listen, I don't care what it is in your life. I don't care what you're going through in life. Listen, you need to be totally, you and I need to be totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. Give over to him everything that we've got, all of our needs, all of our desires, all of our frustrations, all of our fears, all of our ambitions. Give those things over to Jesus Christ. Let him deal with them because when you are weak, you are really strong. Third word, sufferers. We're sufferer. The apostles were not only spectacles and simpletons, but they were also sufferers. Look at verse 11. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. They're homeless. They have no, no place to call home. 
The, the apostles lived at the lowest level of society. While the Corinthians were living like kings, the apostles were living like slaves. Now, folks, listen to me very clearly. That doesn't mean that God will ever ask you to give up your home and live in a box. Okay? But can I tell you something? What should you and I be willing to do according to Jesus in Luke chapter 14 if we really love him? Be willing to give up our home and live in a box if that's what he asks us to do. Not my words, the words of Jesus Christ. He may not ever ask you to do that. But are you willing? Are you willing? The apostles had come to know firsthand the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, they are ministers of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths oft of the Jews. Five, five times received I 40 stripes, save one thrice. Was I beaten with rods? Once was I stoned thrice. Have I suffered shipwreck a night and a day that I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the, those things which are without, that which cometh upon me, upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul says, I've been through a lot. For Christ. Paul says, I've suffered as an apostle. You guys are living like kings and you think yourself so uh, rich and so wealthy and so self-satisfied and self-sufficient. But then notice what he says in verse 12, and laboring, working with our own hands. And the, and the word working there where it means to exert oneself physically to the point of exhaustion. And it gives the idea of Paul says, we've grown tired from toiling. And Paul says, what we did, we did with our own hands. You know, working with the hands for these Corinthians were, was considered to be beneath dignity. You know, manual labor was for the slaves, not for the dignified people. Not for the sophisticated people. And Paul, by working with his hands, lowered himself to the status in the eyes of the local citizens there in Corinth. But even in that, Paul did not become bitter. Look at verse 12. Being reviled, what do we do? Not me. Boy, if I get it, I'm going to give it back. That's a lot of Christians' attitudes, isn't it? If you mess with me, I'm going to give it back. You know, it's really hard not to pick up those, as we learned on, Sunday, on Wednesday night some months ago, it's really hard not to pick up those spears and throw it back, aren't they? When somebody, when your Saul throws a spear at you, it's, a, it's very, very hard not to pick it up and throw it back. That's our first inclination, to throw it back. But Paul says when we're being reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we just suffer it. We just deal with it. When we're defamed, we entreat. Because listen, Paul and the other apostles truly looked at themselves as galley slaves and stewards of Jesus Christ. 
Their concern, as should be ours, was to be faithful and humble. And they had no time for resentment and jealousy. Listen, if you and I will spend our lives being busy for Christ, we're not going to have any time to be jealous or resentful. You know, resentful and jealous people, you know what kind of people they are? They're the kind of people, they, they, they're the kind of people that sit and soak and sour, and then they become resentful and unfaithful because they're not doing anything. The apostle realized that they were far measurably better off than their persecutors. Notice the fourth word. Spectacle, simpleton, sufferer, and scum. We're getting lower the part of the barrel now, aren't we? Look at verse 13. This is literally what Paul says. We are made the what? We are made the filth, literally, the filth of the world. And are the off-scourging of all things unto this day. You know, the Corinthians proudly saw themselves as on top, but the apostles saw themselves at the bottom. The word filth there is a word that literally means to speak of dirt or refuge, that which is discarded as trash. Now, folks, listen, this is the way the apostles saw themselves. Because this is the way that we need to view ourselves in Christ. Now, I don't want anybody to leave here saying, man, I ain't nothing in the world but dirt. But in compared to the glory of Christ, it's exactly what we are. And we need to recognize that. Because if we truly recognize that, that apart from Christ, we are the bottom of the ring. We, that will change our life. When we realize that. Paul says the world sees us as something that's just worthless and is discarded as trash. And off-scourging is, is a synonym for filth. And the two words were commonly used of uh, the lowest, most degrading criminal who was often sacrificed in pagan ceremonies. And this is the way that the apostles looked at themselves. This is the way that the world looked at them. That they were religious scum and dregs, no better than criminals. John MacArthur said this, it's not hard for believers to get along in the world as long as they keep the gospel to themselves. But if we preach, teach, and live God's full world, word, the world takes great offense. We are not scum and dregs in God's sight. But we are nevertheless servants and stewards. And so because even in God's sight, see, in the world's eyes, we are scum and dregs, but in God's sight, we are servants and stewards. And so therefore, neither in the world's eyes or God's eyes do we have any reason to boast. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, in order that He may exalt you in due time. Folks, the, 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 fact, the, the fact of the Christian life is humility. Total dependence on Jesus Christ. That's what the Corinthians were lacking. Total humility. Total dependence on Christ. Now what do we have to change in our life tonight for us to be totally dependent and totally humble before Christ? It's a tough order. It's a tall order. 
and it goes against the grain of everything that we think about ourselves. It goes against the grain of every, of every fact of self-sufficiency uh, that we have. But this is what Paul calls on for every believer to have. Humility, not conceit. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.